This is the Breaking Down Incident Response Podcast. We are your hosts, Brian Betcher. And I am Michael Goff. Welcome to a special episode of Breaking Down Incident Response. Yeah, today we're going to talk about epic failure. Who do you blame? You decide. All right, so yeah, we're going to go over that scenario. Now, show summary. This is a special episode, so we don't have a guest. No, nope. kind of weird. No guest. We are, we are the guests. Special episode. My dog sitting in here. Does he count? Mm, no. All right. So news over the items. We're going to talk about uh, NSS Labs suing several BEP EDR vendors. We'll talk about that, and then uh, we'll roll into our topic of the day. Uh, now, a word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Humio, a high-performance log management and analysis tool delivering real-time performance for system monitoring and investigation. By allowing users to ingest huge amounts of data on a single node for ad hoc queries and search without doing any indexing, Humio enables its users to monitor a system for errors, user volumes, transactions, registrations, or search on multiple parameters. Humio is available in both on-premise and cloud versions. Start a free trial of Humio today at humio.com. That is H-U-M-I-O.com. This podcast is also brought to you by LogMD, the log and malicious discovery tool for Windows-based systems for IT, InfoSec, IR, and forensics professionals. It helps you assess your audit log settings against several industry standards, including the Windows Logging Cheat Sheet, so you can improve your logging to collect all the right things. LogMD can also be used to hunt for targeted, malicious, and interesting artifacts such as large registry keys, autoruns, WMI persistence, malicious PowerShell execution, and targeted log events that can then be collected by your log management solution. LogMD provides more details and easy-to-read reports than your EDR solutions can provide. We offer free, professional, and consulting licenses. Discover it. Discover LogMD today at log-md.com. All right, so let's move on to our first topic. Newsworthy. Okay, a uh, tweet from Dave Kennedy on TrustExec's effort. I guess he's bragging about his guys, right? But it, but it does show that uh, they are really smart, having some big accomplishments in their efforts to bypass defenses. Yeah, well, this the reason I put this in here is uh, the topic we're about to talk talks about this epic failure. And this is a just a proof point that they're, you know, Dave Kennedy, right, uh, relic uh, leader of DerbyCon and his consulting team. It's very common for red teamers, pen testers to try to find ways to get past security defenses. And so on his tweet, he said, on a screen share with my team on an engagement watching our completely custom exploitation framework plus C2 being developed and using undocked techniques all the way through with a ton of EPP EDR products on the endpoint without detection. Proud of our research team at TrustedSec. Now, that just shows you that as a pen tester and a red teamer, they their job is to try to get around these defenses and mechanisms. So what makes you think that the bad guys aren't also trying to or can do this? And that kind of leads us into our uh, our theme for the, for the special podcast. Yeah, I mean, uh, guys who have time, expertise, and money, um, which a lot of attackers do, Right, they have the motivation to uh, steal data. Um, they'll have the same resource as the Sec does, right? 
Well, they have more time and they have financial incentive. We all have financial incentive as consultants, but they have a lot more time. They're not in a hurry. They don't have a two-week. Well, they may they may have good deadlines like all of us, but I think they have more time to develop for sure. Yeah. And uh, our next story, NSS Labs fires off anti-malware testing lawsuit. At InfoSec Toolmakers. Okay. So this one, okay. This is kind of weird because... I don't know. I, I always thought NSS was, you know, had all this um, sort of, it came out a couple of years ago that they had a backroom deal with these AV vendors, EDR vendors. Hey, yeah, we'll test you, uh, wink, wink, and we'll put you in the upper right if you play nice, and we'll put you in the lower left if you don't. Now they're like, um, they're they're like really serious about um, going after, or at least trying to go after um, endpoint detection, saying that, no, 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 it's not us making these deals, it's, it's them, right? They're giving us these requirements to help um, them pass the test, right, with flying colors, and that's not fair. Yeah, you know, we, I've always said that, you know, when we, when we were evaluating EDR here last year, that the EDR vendors were real eager to give us samples to test. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, You're yeah. going to give me samples to test against your product means you know you can detect the product. And I think that's part of probably what NSS Labs is is saying, looking into here, is that, look, you guys are giving me criteria along with this entity, um, and you're kind of, uh, what, let's say, creating something, creating a test or environment or, or a circumstance of criteria that you can't fail. And I think that's what they're trying to point out here, and maybe they want more ability to do their own type of testing whereas they have these obligations and they're saying multiple vendors are kind of getting together saying no you must test it this way with these guys criteria which means you know they're going to have high success rate because that's kind of what it's all about right and this is a big market right there uh, uh, Gartner says this is a growth market of up to 45 percent uh, it's called the uh, estimated compound annual growth rate um, one of the one of the articles here we have in the show notes will tell you that it's 25%. And then Gartner says over the course of the image we have from 2015 to 2020, it's 45%. So the point here is this is a booming market. And so anything that could be negative that might impact, influence a negative connotation towards the EDR market or, or advanced EPP as these EDRs are, are morphing into EPP products, um, that maybe these tests need to be relooked at to more accurately uh represent what these tools can do for you. And I think that's part of what their lawsuit is. But we won't know until they get their lawsuit uh, sorted out and more data comes out in the public. You know, I kind of liken this EDR to, I don't know, um, a mouthwash uh, company that says, hey, we kill, uh, you know, 99.9% of germs in a test tube. Well, okay, a test tube is not the germs that are in your mouth, right? How do you, how do you measure that? Right. What kind of germs are, is it killing? And is it, does it even matter? Okay. Maybe, maybe and, true. And also I thought it was kind of strange that they, you had to sign an NDR. You couldn't test their products on your own. You couldn't say, Hey, give me a 30 day trial and I'll check it out for myself. No, they, they, um, they were very, um, I don't know, big brotherish almost when, when we were testing their products. 
saying, yeah, we need to, we need to be involved. We need to only do these things. We need to set it up for us. A lot of them wanted to set it up for us and actually run it for us. Right. Yeah. And you know, again, our tests are our tests. We, we had a criteria. Our criteria was based on what our IDS managed IPS caught. And we knew if the IPS said, Hey, that machine, this IP address has something fishy going out or trying to go out that every EDR product should give us that and more was kind of our criteria of, of badness testing. There was lots of other stuff we tested for, but if you let the vendor kind of impose their views or their criteria on you, then you might not get an exact, uh, you know, solution that you're looking for that you're detecting for. And we just threw yeah. commodity stuff. We didn't throw anything APT. I never got around to throwing the APT that I have at it to see what would happen. Right. And, and it was important that we uh, tested with things that we were getting every day, yeah. right? In our own environment, via email or whatever means. It wasn't a test tube. It was nope. reality, right? It yeah. was your own mouth, your own throat. Drydex, right? Emetet, or Gozi of the Week, and Kofter. I mean, this was stuff that everybody gets. This is widely known malware. Testing in multiple ways, user click, already infected box, and then push the push the information there and, and or push the payload there and see what happens on a reboot or when it rebooted. It was, it was interesting, but this is a, you know, this is a big market. Uh, and you might think by now this podcast is about beating up on EDR vendors. It really isn't. I think we're going to come to their support here a bit. Um, but again, I think it's up to you decide and there's probably a point to be made. Uh, maybe go back and watch my, my DerbyCon talk from last year, 2017 about, you know, how you should look at EDR and testing. And the next one we have is a, Forrester report on EDR. So here's another analyst report, right? But they're they're taking a little different slant on it. And I I picked out this one picked out this one quote that said, "At its core, EDR turns your infrastructure into a fabric of queryable systems with scalable remote management capabilities and the ability to detect abuse." Done. That's it. This is the only tangentially a security tool and it's time to reframe how we think about EDR into that of a SecOps tool. So I think they're kind of saying, whoa, quit thinking this stuff is uh, the, the holy grail. That's my take. Right. And we're going to go over some things that um, really, really need to think about before you um, throw all your eggs in that EDR basket. So. Or any security basket. I think the point here is that's true. Once we go through it, yeah, any any of them. If you think one thing's going to save you, yeah, one thing will not save you. We're always told defense in depth, right? And, and this is a, a a case where, yeah, I fully support that uh, idea. All right, now onto our topic of the day. You have an epic failure in this scenario. Who do you blame? Okay, we'll we'll let you decide. Now, let's go over the environment. All right, the environment. There is uh, multiple offices, so less than a dozen offices. Network devices with IPSs, so they are monitoring the border from an IPS perspective. DNS proxy on all the endpoints, which means the endpoints, as they query things on the internet, are going through a proxy that says, hey, are you a known bad malicious site? If you are, then I'm going to block you. They have an MSP, a managed service provider agent. That's not necessarily security, not an MSSP. So this is probably more of support management of, yeah, IT services of, of, of sorts. They have an EDR agent. We are not going to point out any of the details. And, and also no admin rights on the endpoint. So the users were general admins. And I always make fun of the fact that I don't care how much Wait, you lock down your said system. They're general admins. What does that mean? As opposed, you're right, just a basic admin, right? These guys are standard users. They had no admin rights. These users were locked down. 
So, so the admin rights were locked down. Yep. Only, only true admins could be admins. The users were not. And DevOps uh, app deployment nightly. So they had a way to update apps fairly regularly. So they thought they were doing pretty good at keeping up the applications. Now, no, it sounds, it sounds like they had a, had their uh, act together. They've ducks in a row. Yeah. DNS proxy. They've got EDR. Uh, they got no admin rights on the endpoints, and they're using DevOps for their uh, their uh, web services. Looks pretty good. Yeah, they're doing probably more than most SMBs. This is an SMB. Now, um, this is a real event. This is not made up. Oh, that was my question. Is this real? Yes. So this information was provided to us by a friend, and he wanted to let us know because he was curious what we thought. Um, after getting the details of that we did get, we're like, whoa, there are so many things wrong here or, or assumptions made. We got to talk about this, thus leading to this special episode. Hmm. Okay, so this is a real attack. It happened. It really happened. We, we might get sued for relaying this information. Not no? if we don't say who's involved. Oh, okay. In theory. I'll be careful. <laughs> we'll, we'll fix it in post. Fix it in post, All right. right. So point of entry. All right. So it's important to understand that this attack in the course of the two events that occurred, the point of entry with all this stuff in place was a brute forced against an internet facing RDP server open for employee use and subsequent infection of over 150 assets within 20 minutes of the initial infection or patient zero, as we called it. So with all this in place, this customer, this person had RDP open to the internet Username and passwords only. Okay. So that's bad. That is probably, well, we'll talk about the, the good and the bad here in a minute. So what? They had RDP open to the internet. If they didn't, it could have been a phishing email, right? Could have. But in this case, you know, there, uh, if, you, if you allow something on the internet that, uh, that somebody can you log into that can do remote access in your environment, you kind of probably need to watch that because 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, script, script kitties, and hackers can beat on this without any interruption unless you're watching and detecting and blocking. So this probably wasn't a targeted attack. It was like an opportunistic attack. They probably did some scanning, found RDP open, and started pounding on it, found some uh, usernames, right, and yep. passwords. Through the plethora of usernames and passwords that have been harvested from every breach under the sun. And as we know on the internet, people reuse their username and passwords, so... Usernames generally are emails or a portion of the email and the passwords, because people can't remember a bunch of complex passwords, they reuse the password. Okay. And this was a brute force. So important point, they... brute force. Yeah. Okay. Next recovery. Volume shadow service, right? The VSS retention period was set at default. So too short for them to restore off of volume shadow copy. Um, that was something they found as a part of trying to recover is they were not, which means by the time they figured it out, the infection had gone to storage and rollback was not an option. So there's a point, an important point for people in regards to recovery if you're relying on volume shadow copy to restore last known good condition. Gotcha. All right. Well, I guess we'll talk about time later, like how long were they infected. Obviously, it was longer than VSS retention. All right. Investigation. What happened? What did, what did they do? So the first infection credentials were circumvented due to the threat agent using the system management software suite. Um, we can name a few, like you know your SSCM or your your uh, in HP's case you have an ILO which manages a blade, a cluster of blades, right? It's the thing you use to control the hardware backend. 
I can uh, turn a service on, I can kill a server, I can do all that stuff, right? These agents have the ability to manage your hardware on, you know, system level access, which means uh, that item is, you know, a God account or a God application within your environment. And it was used to kill the EDR service to then infect the machine. So this approved software that was used to manage the systems, not we're not talking like SSCM where you push software, but the stuff that controls service starting and, and uh, builds. builds and all the stuff that goes along in the back end, was able to be logged into, then used properly to kill a service running on you know, obviously more than one bar. Uh, the EDR vendor did everything they could to understand and report on the issue. They paid to have the server shipped to them where they completely did, completed a full forensics analysis, subsequently proving how the service was terminated and then the system infected. The second infection was missed by EDR. Of course, the service was disabled. And though was caught by AV that they installed after the fact to see if it would catch anything. So they did not have AV installed because they had used EDR instead as an AV replacement. They decided to just, you know, like a lot of IT people do, install AV or run it from a from a USB or whatnot and scan the box to see if it could find anything. And it did find something. Okay. Then they do not know the current... They, they know that the current recommendation from IT security and thought leaders is to use a blended solution like EDR and AV. But again, here's an SMB point, right? And a lot of companies consider this. But money isn't endless for clients, so that may be problematic, which means... All right, I've got this, you know, a bucket of $10,000, $100,000, whatever it is in AV. I'm going to transfer that to this new whiz-bang, blinky light, cool thing called EDR. And I'm going to, because it's certified in PCI, therefore equivalent in some certain aspects. And I'm going to pull out AV and I'm going to rely more on EDR. In this particular case, this is what happens. Yeah, I mean, most, most people would. They would uh, go for the better thing, right, which is EDR as advertised. They would transfer that money that we're spending on AV and it might be a one for one, right? And then they get something that's more modern, not yep. really a signature based solution per se, but offers a lot more. Yep. Uh, log management was not used, but during the investigation, it was deployed after the fact and discovered a lot happening in the environment of which stunned the staff that was investigating it. So there's a big, there's a big, uh, what do they call me? A logaholic? Uh, there's a big thing right here. They put log management in place uh, with, when they investigated it, started harvesting the logs, and they found all kinds of inf interesting information. Hmm. So logs actually did detect this. They just didn't have it deployed or, or as part of their solution. All right. From the point of the EDR vendor, though, so the customer said, hey, um, we need you guys to look at this. EDR didn't help us. Right. And the position here is that the, the client, the user of the EDR product, thought that the EDR vendor was to blame because the malware was not detected by EDR. Well, it couldn't have been, right? The management service killed or actually stopped the EDR service. Thus, there's no way the EDR could have taken action. And so that, that's the, that was the position, right? That the open RDP connection was the root cause and EDR was not at fault for not catching or rolling back the infection. I mean that that's that's a big that's a big point here. That as the listeners listen to this, that you know, like we said, there's a lot of good things which we're about to talk about. There's a lot of good things they did here, and maybe as we talk about this, if they did a couple things, would the solution or this environment or configuration that they used would it have would it have helped? Would it have 
probably avoided this issue. So that's what we'll we'll talk about. Right. So what did they? What did the company do right? Well, you know, let's start with that. I think we talked a little bit about it, right? Endpoint users were not admins. I think that's a big one. Um, if you can get to the point where you can reduce some of these rights, then as malware or attacks try to exploit the user, and again, users click on emails and everything else, they're going to be kind of stuck in this user space. And they'll have to use some sort of exploit to gain admin privileges or some sort of special foo. In theory, that that uh, series of events that they're going to do against a user would then trigger theoretically your security solution to say this combination of things is not normal. And thus, since they were using EDR in theory, EDR should protect you somewhat from this, right? Good thing, not users weren't admins. So they figured out how their apps all worked and, and figured that out. Uh, EDR was on the endpoint. So yay, EDR in a lot of ways is more behavioral, uh, certain condition kind of, uh, scanning and, and behavior based. So EDR, in theory, as users did things, the EDR could react to it. Um, so that was installed. That was good. A lot of people just have, you know, AV, which is signature base, which if it's brand new attack, wouldn't get caught for EDR, looks at the behavior and could, could catch it. DNS proxy, which means the users as they surf can't go to known bad website. I mean, that's a, that's a big thing, right? If you're on the list of known bad websites, that, that doesn't mean, and we've seen it through our use of web proxy, that if it's a brand new domain, brand new compromised Joomla, Drupal site, whatever, that they can get by these DNS proxies because it's it's unknownly bad yet, right? It's not bad at this point. And then they use DevOps to push out nightly upgrades, so they had the ability to deploy stuff very rapidly. So I think all these are really good things and good layered scenario. I think they were on the right approach. Excellent. And, you know, and again, endpoints are uh, users are not admins. That's a huge step that most companies don't even try. I mean, it's painful the users. So what went wrong? Wow. All right. RDP facing the internet. So there's been some tweets that went out this week. Uh, we have a couple links in the extra extra uh, articles at the end about how RDP is still heavily used uh, on the darknet being sold and or ex trying to be exploited. It's exceeded SSH, for example. And so RDP on the internet uh, with just username and password is clearly number one here. If not the riskiest thing you can do as a company is, you know, and it goes for all remote access. If you post remote access in any way, form, or manner, whether it's RDP on 3389, whether it's SSH on port 22, whether it's VNC on port 5900, you know, the list goes on, TeamViewer, whatever, that uh, you publish this on the internet where there is no protection other than username and password with all the compromises that are out there then this is by far the riskiest thing you can do. It, you will get nailed at some point in time, even with your 90-day rotation, because users will click on emails that are nothing more than cred harvesters. They don't trigger anything bad. They definitely get by web proxy solution, DNS proxy solutions. They'll lose their credentials. Um, we've seen a lot of this. And then they get harvested and then reused within that 90-day period before your, your passwords rotate. So uh, RDP, remote access to the internet, if you are not protecting it more with username and password, that, that is huge. So that's number one. Right. Well, even if they didn't have RDP open to the internet, uh, a targeted attack can get by this. Like, like a lot of defenders say, I'll give you an endpoint. Now, what do you do after that? Right. What kind of noise are you going to set off? Right. Exactly. So, you know, and again, I, I'm an 80-20 rule guy. I, I think that if you focus at the 80%, not worry about, you know, the targeted scenario, that you'll potentially catch the bad guy after you've given up your endpoint, either by accident or on purpose, 
and and then you'll catch their movements after that, which clearly was not the case here until they installed logging after the fact during their investigation. All right, so they brute forced a cred, happened to be admin, maybe a system admin. Yes. Right? This gave them, from what we know, direct access to the system management software solution through right. that VPN. This is another flaw a lot of people, I think, underestimate or don't really investigate. Uh, we in security often tell people to use two accounts for people that have administrative access. The point or the reason for this is if I'm surfing the net and I'm using email and I click on something accidentally, I'm a standard user. If I have to do administrative functions, then I elevate myself during the task of that application and I say, hey, use this credential and this password, but the probability of me losing it from using it everywhere is much lower in theory. And so in this case, the credential that was brute forced was an admin account that that account's access gave them access to their system management software solution. So once the bad guys found this account, they realized it was an administrator. They searched the environment. They found the system management software and said, man, I own the environment. Right. Target of opportunity. Big time. What account did I get? Who am I? What access do I have? Bam. Yep. I'm an admin. Holy moly. I have access to the software. Wow. Okay. Game over. Right. At that point, we're not even on number three yet. <laughs> you already own. Yeah. And you have all this good stuff on your endpoints. All right. Number three. They did not look for or detect the brute force of the internet facing systems for remote access. Now, one of our first couple episodes, we talked about this where a school had been compromised for, what was it? 80,000, it was some ridiculously large amount of failed logins against school where this guy was able to get into. Oh. Yeah. Oh, uh, account with the pictures. Yeah. Yes. Hundreds of, of accounts before someone noticed. And it's like, okay, brute force means great. People beat on my internet stuff all the time. Yes, they do. But you, you should be watching for that if it's internet facing so that you can either a block B rotate passwords, C check out those accounts. What account access does this thing really have? Uh, possibly put in country blocks. I mean, it gives you information to allow you to make, you know, adjustments and tweaks but not to look for brute forcing of your remote access solution to the internet. So that means as they beat up on you, they were unable to detect. Now, hang on. If, if they try brute force and I have two-factor, does that even work? Sure. You're going to get to the point where you log in, and then it's going to say, what's your token? And you're going to go, uh, I don't have one. Or you're okay. going to try you know, six-digit or eight-digit tokens, and, and in one minute, you're going to expire it. And so you're starting all over. So two-factor really kills this, uh, this attack. And that's the whole purpose it's of it. Not, it's not the be-all, end-all, but it's certainly a huge blocker. It's at least 80% there for sure, right? I mean, you, you're putting yeah. this username password with Bob and password one on the internet, and now you've put a token in there that changes every minute. Yeah, you're way ahead. This attack probably would have never succeeded. Right. And by a six-digit token changing every minute, there's just not enough time. No. To, uh, to get that. You'd have to try it, I don't know, a thousand times. You'd have to get really lucky or find a flaw in the two-factor auth process, which we know our industry has found. But again, 80-20 yeah. rule or 74% rule, as Devin uh, reminded me, in regards to the amount of false positives you get as you go up from there. But this would be more of a 90-95% rule. I mean, I think we've seen a couple of tweets where people said, you know, users had issues, installed two-factor, we haven't seen an issue in three years kind of responses, right? It significantly reduces the risk here. Okay, so talk about this account. So the account used for the system management software had access to the internet, which means, again, back to the admin scenario. If you've got these, you know, let's call them admin accounts, so Bob-admin, let's just say that. 
you should not allow Bob Dash Admin to log in to your remote access. You should let Bob log in to remote access, and then he has to then enter his credentials, Bob Admin, with his password once he gets into the environment to then be able to do his remote access stuff. The idea with there, password. what's that? With a different password. With a different password, right? Yeah. Hopefully you don't allow the same password scenarios. Um, but the idea here is you cause noise to occur because the probability of a bad guy having both these passwords and usernames because the admin, Bob-admin, should not be heavily used on the internet, if at all, is really low, which means he's going to create more internal brute force attempts or attempts to log in to things he just doesn't have access to, triggering more 4625s or, or failed login attempts. So it's designed to produce noise to detect somebody that's in using standard creds trying to get to admin creds, and that's that's the idea behind that, right? So these were available on the internet. That's another bad thing. They should not have been given access to VPN or RDPN. There should be a jump scenario where you have to do this twice, dual authenticate. Okay, that was number four. Yeah. Now number five, let's talk about logging. So logging clearly was not enabled or used until after the event happened. What kind of logging? I would say across the board, right? Clearly, they weren't logging RDP. It probably by default was in the logs. They just weren't looking at them. Uh, once they got on the boxes, I highly doubt their endpoints were properly logged. The EDR might have given them some information for those systems that may have not been disabled that the attackers tried to get into. Um, and so as they looked probably after the fact, they saw a bunch of default scenarios, uh, services, for example, information that might be default okay on Windows. Um, but... I'm guessing they did not have, for example, the Windows logging cheat sheet or even the CIS benchmarks applied to these machines so that when they turned on logging, they really got a good bunch of good information. I'm guessing they did get what they got, and that even told them a lot. Um, but clearly, it wasn't a priority here. It was looked at after the fact and not part of the layered security, which really would have helped them. Uh, with all that other cool stuff they had. All right, and number six, uh, not collected. Yeah, and so granted, let's let's say they did turn it on. Well, they definitely weren't collecting it because they installed as part of the investigation a log collector, and again, we're sh they're, they're, the people looking at it were shocked at what they saw. A stunned was the word, right? Uh, and so again, you turn the stuff on locally, you have the ability of collecting them, and they weren't even doing that. That's another important point is Enable the stuff, configure it properly, right? The three C's, right? Coverage, do you have it everywhere? Completeness, is the agent running and everything turned on? Configuration, did I turn all the things on that I need to turn on? And so that if I do utilize that that data point, in this case the logs, all the things I need are there and, and it makes my investigation or detection much better. So they did not even collect them till after. The okay, so after they brought in the SWAT team, the SWAT team said, hey, we need these things collected and then what did they find yeah the, again they had no av or edr you know right no av they just used edr they used av x you know as a part of investigation kind of a typical it move and found there was malware so the the av that probably had their recent dat signature said hey there's this malware on this box as a part of the the post infection and they said hey how come edr didn't test that well edr had been disabled it couldn't possibly detect it yeah that that's that's a big part of it right is is they knew either by the fact of dumb luck but no av they disabled edr i'm guessing if they're in system management software they looked at the inventory and said here's all the agents running in that box yep if we disable this we're good right the, their edr was stopped by the system management software which creds were gained from the brute force of the internet facing RDP server, 
Now, let's talk about the system management software not being monitored. Why would you want to monitor your system management software? This is an example of a application in your environment that has the keys of the castles. Now, we've seen uh, in several conferences reference and tweets referencing SSCM. You know, how many people are watching SSCM logins? And if I break into your SSCM environment and all Microsoft House, the you know system configuration control management software from Microsoft, and that means I can do anything. I can push an application. I can I can add something to a package and push it out to all the users. Uh, there's all kinds of things I can do. I own your environment if I break into this this environment this solution. Like if I broke into your HP ILO and you had a bunch of Blade servers. I could power up the blades, power down the blades, stop services, kill services, install drivers, disable drivers. If you're not monitoring the data of when people are accessing this critical management software, then when somebody gets in, because you expose this login without proper protections on the internet, then they're going to run amok amongst your environment and they're going to gain access to these highly privileged application because you put an agent on every machine that says, this application can manage you anything it wants to do. And then, bam, they did. They managed it all right, just in a negative way. Okay. So what about the EDR service? We found this in our EDR evaluation. And this is not just an EDR problem. This is a non-Microsoft problem, meaning if you look at Microsoft Windows, and I highly recommend all of our listeners go try this. Go find a service. Let's say, you know, I promote logging, so FileBeat for your file uploads agent, WinLog beat, and go stop that service. And I always tell people, look, monitor 7040 events, which is starts and stops the services, monitor new installs, 7045s. Now those will trigger third-party things, but 7040s will not. When you stop file beat or WinLog beat or Big Fix or Carbon Black or EDR version, whatever, it will not trigger a 7045 event unless the vendor specifically designed within their APIs to write an event and trigger a 7045, which they don't do. So unless you're a default Microsoft installed application that the OS supports, you will not see a service stop scenario. You potentially could monitor a term a process termination if you enabled that, and you enabled logging as a success for a 4689 process termination, you would see a 4689 that, you know, EDR vendor X stop. That's an important point here because I think the EDR vendors need to realize this and say, we need to have a built-in mechanism of catastrophe. I have agents stopping on more than one, three, five boxes, whatever your pain point threshold is, and page people, right? Uh, send an email, you know, again, how you get that paging and, and calling of the users up to you, but get it to your sock and say, this should not happen when greater than five, call me somebody, you know, something or somebody is, is messing with our, our security software, whatever it may be, but do some tests, stop some services that are third party on your workstations and servers and see if you can see a server stop event, a 7040. And I think you're going to be surprised. So if you had logging collected and you did everything we said, you wouldn't have seen this EDR software stopped because third-party events don't log with a, with a 7040 event. You have to do some special stuff, which is in the Windows logging, Windows Advanced Logging Cheat Sheet. Uh, thanks, thanks, David Longnecker, uh, helping out and getting that created. And know what you need to do to enable, change the DACLs, turn on some more auditing so that these things can be logged and thus collected and hopefully uh, uh, alerted. Now, there's two ways to do it. One is to get the things logged uh, by Windows that that service will stop. 
Another way is the EDR vendor maybe monitoring their own service. So if they see that that service has stopped, whatever way they need to, um, that it'll alert, I don't know, the central console or the cloud or that a service was stopped. How's that different from shutting down a computer? Like the service stops when you do a shutdown, right? Correct, but that's a that's a uh, you know uh, every, it's a different event. Well, no, it's the same event, but you're going to have an event twelve or thirteen trigger. You'll see the shutdown's been initiated. Lots of services stop, so there's a behavior, right? There's a sequence. I was looking for the word sequence. There's a sequence that occurs that tells you that's a normal event. If suddenly I've got 150 machines, as the data indicates, that this was killed on or stopped on. That would be hugely um, valuable to know once it got to 5, 10, 15, 20, uh, because it takes time to shut down those services, and that should be alerting somebody that, hey, this is this is really a bad thing. Yeah, if you've got 150 servers with services stopped for your EDR, that's like a drop everything. Yeah. I don't care if my wife's in labor. I need to fix this. Uh, oh, yeah, maybe. Exactly. So, you know, how would you know? I and mean, we came across this in gaming where they had attacked our big fix service and they had stopped it. They had infected it and they found a cave and they restarted the service. And then it now loads uh, on boot of the system. The actual big fix helper service uh, read this payload in the registry and loaded it for us, uh, loaded it for the bad guys. And big fix still worked. Right. And so we never detected the stops and starts of these services in bulk, which we should have, but you can't because third parties aren't logged, which has sent me down this path of trying to figure out how to do that. And so it's kind of an important point that EDR vendors need to build something in. Now, AV, I have witnessed in, in McAfee's case, there's a helper service that monitors, right? When you look at some of these AVs, they have an agent, but that's not the agent that does AV. It's an agent that monitors the AV piece or the encryption piece. And so they have these helper services to watch the service to keep it from crashing. And oddly enough, the system management software that they were using, one of its features is to monitor services. And so the fact that that probably wasn't set up as an alert to say, hey, when these services stop, do these things. NetIQ is an example of one of these. That's a big use for NetIQ. You tell NetIQ, monitor these services. If they stop, send an alert, restart the service. If it continues to stop, send, you know, escalate the alert, do the service test tickets and all that kind of fun stuff it can do. But yeah, that this is a, this is a big deal that EDR vendors need to address, that security vendors need to address. And that us, you know, SecOps defenders, and again, pen testers know this. That hey, I can stop your service, and you'll never know. Uh, we need to step it up, and we need to do something about this because this is a big gap. All right. So, you you mentioned the Windows Advanced Logging uh, cheat sheet. Now, would you say that my if my EDR or any other service that I want to monitor does not create a log event because they didn't set that up? Can I force that creation or do I have to get with the vendor and say, hey, you need to do this in your next release? I think it's more up to the vendor. Um, I'm not really sure why this is a flaw with Microsoft in general, why they just don't make it an automatic point that when a service stops that they log it. I, I, I'm kind of puzzling that they still haven't fixed this issue. I think it would be a kind of a cool core feature. Um, installation of services will get triggered with a 7045. So you'll see the EDR agent install. You just won't see it stop and start, which is really odd. So I think it's an EDR problem. I think it's a vendor. Pro I think the vendor needs to solve this problem as a part of their product development, whether they work with Microsoft or do it on their own. I don't care which. Okay. That's my opinion. Anything else that you want to say about this? You know, this, is, this is a... True story, the, the names have been removed to protect the innocent, yada, yada. What's the takeaway here? Well, I guess the listeners have to decide, you know, again, 
uh, SMBs don't have an endless pocketbook. And uh, I have made many recommendations to people about remote access and stuff that's unfettered on the internet with just username and password. I, I think it's just not smart. Uh, the probability of a brute force and or credential loss with these clever emails that do nothing more than ask you to do single sign-on, even worse if you're an Office 365 house because so many Office 365 users are used to seeing these, hey, enter your creds here and federation with, hey, log in with, with, Chrome, log in with Google, log in with Facebook, log in with whatever, that this is becoming a, a, a socially acceptable thing like a pop-up in Windows where you just say, Yep, I'm going to click OK. I'm going to continue my work. This is definitely an avenue that works. Uh, we've definitely experienced this, Brian and I both, that you know, credential stealing is easy. So if they get those creds, how would you stop them being misused on the internet? And really, two-factor is the big thing here. I'm going to side with the EDR vendor here and say this is not the fault of EDR. You could argue that EDR should have detected it if it was running. Well, it wasn't running because approved software by an administrator account turned it off. And that is not something an EDR vendor can be responsible for 100%. I do believe there's some work to be done here, um, but there is the ability of the user to do something to monitor this. And so I'm going to side with the EDR vendor saying this was not their fault. This was, you, you allowed something on the internet that just shouldn't be there. And the other articles in the story talk about baselining RDP, RDP thriving on the dark web, using RDP, you know, make your business less of a target for ransomware. Our talk in regards to credential stealing that we did at Besides Austin, another resource, uh, go look at that presentation that we posted. All these, I think, are important points. As many things they did well here, they neglected probably the most abused thing to an organization, and that is remote access, username, password to the internet. And, and that was a big bummer. And I can forgive the logging internally because without curing that, your logging uh, is, is second fold a big problem, right? If I allow this, you should have your logging turned up so high, alerts screaming at you with these conditions that uh, you would have realized turning it off was the only option. And, and there were a few, you know, when we talked about in the beginning, defense in depth, there were a lot of places that this could have been caught. Okay, let's throw out RDP. What's next? Okay, uh, brute forcing. Brute forcing, right. yeah. Let's throw out brute forcing. Maybe we couldn't do that. What's next? Logging. No, right. well, Logging. How, about, how, about, how about successful login from wherever this thing came from? Uh, probability is it was not a trusted location or a location that uh, we've seen before. So here's a, here's a ninja tip. Take your logins that are remote access. Let's assume you're one of these people that don't have uh, two-factor because you don't have to watch this as, as much with two-factor, but let's say you do. Either way, you, you look at all the logins for Bob, and Bob has logged in from Austin, Texas, or you know Miami, Florida, 104 times in the last 30 days. And so um, my users, 10, 20, 30, 40 of them, Average 50, 50 logins from the same IP. Yes, there's people that go hotels and they rotate. That's fine. We're just trying to get rid of some IPs that we trust. So now Bob is in this list that I say, Bob, you've logged in 50 times or 100 times from this IP address, which is your home. And I'm going to say I'm not going to alert on that. So now I'm not watching that IP address from Bob's house from a internet login. That doesn't mean I don't watch him after he gets in, but I, I don't watch that and trigger on that. So I've reduced how many alerts I'll get from just these remote accesses. And now suddenly I can look at this and every month I add more to this list and it gets smaller and smaller. And yes, I got to deal with hotels and, and all that. But 
the quantity isn't as high as all of your users hitting your, your remote access. So now I can say, okay, where are they coming from? Uh, well, U.S. Well, is it coming from, you know, it, you know, Brian logs in all over the U.S. because he's a road warrior. Okay, um, this is Brian's pattern. I've kind of gotten used to that. I can't really make a rule to say don't look at that. I'm not going to ignore it. I'll keep it in the alerts. But you'll kind of see that Brian moves around and it's fairly normal. Um, but suddenly Brian logs in from Russia or Brazil or China or Japan. Uh, Nicaragua. Nicaragua. Uh, Bermuda. Doesn't matter where. Uh, potentially that would have caught this as a successful login. So um, I think that is an important thing. I, I, Egypt mentioned this in a DEF CON talk years ago where he said, how many people here actually log and look at successful logins? And I raised my hand, and, I, and there must have been several thousand people in this room, and there were a, a handful of hands. Because, again, you lose the creds. You're not going to see failed logins. You're going to see successful ones. Now, they claim this is a brute force. Not sure. Maybe there was a bunch of failures. Um and maybe they just luckily guessed this dang thing. Maybe it was a cred stealer. We really won't know unless the people share more with us. Um, but again, lots of false ones and now a successful one. If the same IP fails more than five times, you're going to get locked out. And suddenly it succeeds. Obviously, lockouts weren't happening here either because they would have DDoSed the environment by locking all the accounts <laughs> with brute force, which people have turned off for this very reason. How about get with my trusted admins like, say, the uh, system admins for the system management software and say, look, every time you log in, you're all right, saying you logged in at this time from this location. Sure. I'll sign up for that. Yeah. I want to know when my account gets popped. Yeah. You know, and someone logs in from Nicaragua with, with my account. I'd want to be the first one to know. Yeah, let's so play I devil's advocate. Okay. We are, we are in the U.S., so that means everybody else is over a pond, or unless you go south, they're within an hour or two. So this happens again over the pond at R5 o'clock is their daytime. So theoretically it's going to happen between, you know, 5 PM and 8 AM in us uh, time zones. So in theory, if it's just an email, uh, as we heard in this article that once they were able to disable all the uh, EDR software through the uh, approved app, uh, within 20 minutes, 150 endpoints had been infected. So uh, that's 20 minutes, right? So if that happened in the middle of the night, would an email really work for you? Not really. You might have to take a look at either paging and or consider uh, after hour exclusions or, or some sort of, because right, Windows has it built in. Can you allow people to log in after hours? Sure, I want them to work any point in time they want. Um, great, now how do you notify them that somebody logged in when it's 5 p.m. to 6 a.m.? You have to give that some consideration. Do you page them? Do you have an automated phone call to them saying you logged in successfully? Not obviously failed, but successfully. I mean, what do you right. do here? It's something to consider if you're going to allow this kind of stuff on the internet. All right. I think that's a wrap. Well, you want to, you don't want to spend another half hour talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> we could go on. So you decide on the data and the details we gave you. And are you one of these companies that have this kind of configuration? Think about it. Right, you've done a lot of good things. You got endpoint, you got EDR, you got DNS, you got DevOps. But do you have a gaping hole that really will allow them to slide under all this stuff and/or disable it and move laterally and completely take you out um, again? And, and maybe you don't have a gaping hole. I mean, I, I hate to focus on RDP um, as the big thing because a lot of people say, "Well, I don't have RDP open to the internet, so I don't have to worry about that." Well, you might not now, but you know, we, we've heard of these, uh, what do you call them? Shadow IT. 
you never know when somebody might open up an RDP without your knowledge or um, you, you don't have one, but somebody got a phishing email and, and they got admin creds right off the bat. They popped uh, an admin box and they're off to the races. Yeah. Now, do you have the other things we talked about to be able to detect this? Assume my three C's failed you that one of the machines that got fished EDR did not install properly, did not enable properly, got hung on the reboot of a Windows patch. Who knows? But let's assume one of your endpoints gets infected, and now that user or that bad guy has the ability to get on that box and move laterally. Uh, would you or could you detect it afterwards? I mean, this design of what they did was very user-centric. It was designed to stop an infection of what a user did. Well, the user didn't do this. It was a flaw of the infrastructure design and or uh, service offering uh, to the public, right? Uh, being on the internet. So this was designed very user-centric, but was it designed for internet-centric? Was it designed for that that side channel lateral movement, you know, hey, I want everybody to have access to our environment 24 by 7. Um, and I, I think that's another big thing they did not do well in this case um, that everybody needs to consider is great. I locked down my endpoints greatly, but um, as Dave Kennedy's tweet pointed out, I can still get by you if I'm really good. And so worry about that if I'm really good, and, and how would I catch you? Logging and detection, I think, would be a big help here. Right. What's your take? Who, do you th who are you going to blame here? Or who you think is... Well, I don't think I'm going to blame EDR either. I mean, they provided a service, and that service was not running. Not uh, they uh, Nothing to do with their service stopping. They could have made some mitigations there, but they didn't, and that's what the customer paid for, right? Yep. The, maybe this is a thing. Test your EDR. Can you stop it? Does you know if you're a if you're doing managed service EDR, you should totally do this. Stop ten machines and see if they call you and say what the heck's going on. Ten of your agents just went south. That would be a good test. There you go. And and uh, we also tested in our in our round of testing last year uh, pre-infected box too does the edr detect a box that's already infected or does it just go from that point in time forward yep so give us our thoughts and send us uh tweets and or emails and or catch us on the uh bds slack channel and give us your thoughts on what you think here um, but give a consideration your environment. Um, are you like this typical SMB who doesn't have a full budget, has done some good things, I think some very good things, but missed a huge one in this case, which led them down a dark and, and nasty road? Consider and that's it. not logging everything, right? Yeah, well, an RDP, not logging everything. Not logging everything would have helped them do more, quicker, faster. But um, again, maybe a jump host that allowed you had to jump to in order to run these management tools, the old concept of a management network. Maybe that would have helped them dramatically. Two-factor. Two and when we say log everything, we mean like based on the cheat sheets, right? Yeah. And log the right things for your environment. Whitelist out the stuff that you know is good. Yep. All right. That's there's it. Our, we'll there's our time. BDR special report. Breaking down incident response. Finish. Bye-bye.